Open your Bibles with you, if you, if you would, to Luke chapter 2. I'll be referring some to John chapter 1, but you won't need to turn there. But Luke chapter 2 is where we'll start. Beginning a series, Pictures of Christmas. I was thinking of pictures that made me think of Christmas, and I thought, Christmas cards, you've all got them, you've bought them, you've thrown away. Some of you cut them up and do things with them. I have a niece who sends us homemade Christmas cards, and they're always pictures of Christmas cards from years past that she's cut up, and they're, they're pretty cool, pretty creative. We're going to talk about pictures of Christmas. Today, the divine visit, and Christmas is all about visits sometimes. Making visits, receiving visits, people coming that aren't there, and you know how we get excited about it. Sometimes we dread those visits, but they're always good. So we'll talk about that today. Luke chapter 2. I do want to thank all of those that participated in the Hanging of the Greens service last week and the crew that got everything out. It is a huge two-day affair to get all the Christmas decorations out and up. So, Christine, all those that did that, thank you so much. I appreciate your time, and I know everybody else does. And so we will do that again. And so after the season is over, we would love for you to come and help us take them down. An opportunity for service. That's how preachers talk. Something, it's not something that has to be done. It's an opportunity. So you have an opportunity to help. So stay tuned. Luke chapter 2, as always, we begin with prayer. And as always, there are things for which to pray. Still wars and fightings, people struggling. And yet in the middle, isn't it amazing that people still celebrate Christmas? On NPR driving in today, I was listening. They were talking, one of the reporters was talking about in Jerusalem, in the midst of the tension between Jews and Christians and Muslim, there are still Christians celebrating. It's scary this year. But still Christians celebrate, as well they should. Even in the worst of times, Jesus is a gift, a visit that is worth celebrating. I'll give you a few moments to pray where you're seated. I'll close, and then we'll look at this passage together. Would you bow with me, please? Heavenly Father, again, we thank you for your presence today. We gather in your name today to worship, to seek your word, to open ourselves up to your spirit, perhaps to hear you speak. We open our hearts to your Father. We lift up our hands and hearts in praise. We thank you for this wonderful life that we have with all its flaws. It is a gift. Thank you. We thank you for this life that we have in Jesus, salvation, the hope that we have for the future, the presence of your spirit now. Thank you. We ask today, Father, that you would enable us to share the message of Jesus with others. Give us courage. Give us boldness. Give us the ability to live a life that is a witness to others. We pray, Father, that you would help us to be strong and resist sin, to stand against evil in all its manifestations. Help us, Father, to love, 
to love generously and to give grace to others. Father, we thank you for your mercy and salvation and for your forgiveness. Father, help us to give that mercy and forgiveness to others. There are people who have hurt us. Help us to let that go. For some, we struggle with wounds that are years old. Help us to let those go. Give us joy, Father. Father, we know that today there are many who struggle. This Christmas season is a reminder of those that they have lost. Give them comfort. Others know that in a time when spending is at an all-time high, that their finances aren't doing it. They can't make ends meet. They struggle. Lead them to those who will share. Give us a willingness to share what we have with others, Father. We pray that you would be with those who serve you in all their ways. Doctors, first responders, soldiers, others. Protect them wherever they serve. Give them joy. Comfort their families. And use them to bring peace and save lives. We thank you, Father, for this good life. This wonderful nation. The freedoms and privileges we share. Free speech. Food. Comfort. Thank you. Speak to us now, Father, from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Christmas is a time of visits. On screen is the big visit this year. You know these two. It's so funny. I listen to NPR, and that's radio for nerds. Not because I'm a nerd, because I like to listen to nerds talk. They're funny. And uh, they were talking, and they had a talk show which focused on these two. Of course, you know Travis, Kelsey, and Taylor Swift. Some kind of romance, who knows what. But anyway, on NPR, it's filled with people who have never heard of football, and they've never heard of Travis Kelsey, but they know all about Taylor Swift. And they were in a talk show, and they were taking calls in, and woman, one woman called and said she was just so thankful that Taylor Swift had finally given Travis Kelsey, whoever he is, a name in the media, because he was nothing before she came along. You know, which showed that she was completely ignorant of football, but that's what they expected. And they didn't even laugh about it because they knew, well, yeah, that's right. So this couple, of course, I'm not going to preach about this couple. I'm not going to go in that thing. But do you know that because these two were dating, when Travis and the Chiefs play, that she sometimes shows up at the game. Now, she doesn't always do that. But when she does, attendance skyrockets. And grown adults, I don't understand this, do what they're doing in the picture. I flew from Boston for Taylor Swift. Why any self-respecting man would do that, I don't understand, but he did. And the others, another couple, I'm a Swifty and all those things. And it's amazing. Attendance is up. Internet visits to the NFL websites are up. Ticket sales at NFL games are up. And Taylor is a somebody now. And Travis is a somebody now. And what's happening, and this is the biggest thing, the NFL is really excited because this little girl might visit for the first time in decades, they are seeing an uptick in attendance of women under the age of 50. And to the NFL, that's a big deal because that's a, a group with money that they can't reach because women that are 50 aren't really interested in football. But 
if she's there, she'll be there. I mean, they like Patrick Mahomes' wife. She's okay. But Taylor is another thing. Not a divine visit, but a special visit. Now, I know you don't care about... Well, you might not care about... I don't care about Taylor Swift visiting a football game. I, I, I just don't care one way or the other. Uh, there was a guy, you would recognize the name, Bill Belichick head coach of the New England Patriots, he said this. Well, I would say that Travis Kelsey has had a lot of big catches on his career. This would be the biggest. So if they get married, Bill Belichick will have been a prophet. We're talking about visits today. How visits generate buzz. And of course, this is just one visit that's generated a lot of buzz. Some of you are waiting for people who are going to visit. Maybe some of you are going to visit yourself and drive somewhere you haven't been and people are excited about you coming. And I've got 19 people coming to my house in a few, couple of weeks and I'm kind of excited. I've seen them already for Thanksgiving. We live close to most of our relatives. But I'm excited about them coming. I love it when my grandkids visit. It's a wonderful thing. It is a disaster. It's noisy. They ruin my wood floors and I don't care because they're coming for a visit. Visits bring joy and hope. And I guess one of the things that we like about visits is you never really know what's going to happen. You know it's going to be good going to be laughter and entertainment and food and all those kinds of things but there's always something that might happen that makes it worth the trouble well today we're going to talk about a visit that happened a long time ago of course you know what I'm talking about it's a divine visit a visit from one that was sort of expected the Jewish people had been looking for a Messiah for a thousand years at least maybe longer they knew that someday there would be a visitor a divine visitor, he would come from above and he was going to do something. They didn't know what. They were expecting a military leader who would kill all the bad guys and put Jews in control of the world. And that was their vision. But they knew when this Messiah visited that it would be wonderful. So follow along with me as I read in Luke chapter 2, the first 14 verses of this visit as he came. Luke chapter 2. Now it came about in those days that a decree went up from Caesar Augustus that a census be taken of all the inhabited earth. This was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all were proceeding to register for the census, everyone to his own city. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and family of David, in order to register along with Mary, who was engaged to him and was with child. And it came about that while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him in claws and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. And in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terribly frightened. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news of a great joy which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. And suddenly there appeared with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among men with whom he is pleased. 
so let's talk about this visit, this divine visit. First of all, you need to understand that this visit was the end of a long quest for God to come to man. You know the story of the fall. Before the fall, God walked in the garden. And Adam and Eve, humanity was comfortable with God's presence. And then you remember the story. Sin entered and messed everything up, literally. And when God's presence came, they were afraid and ashamed. And that's where we've been for so long. God created us so he could love us. God created us so that he could share his blessings and joy with us. God created us because he loved us. In the mind of God, before you existed, God loved you. In the mind of God, before time began, God loved your enemies. The Saudis, the Muslims, the Jews, the Christians, the communists. In the mind of God, he loved them all. So, we're not sure of the time schedule. For centuries, God reached down to man, sent prophets, miracle workers, scripture, religious institutions and rituals and things like that, all for the purpose of drawing God and man together. And man resisted. Oh, we got religion all right. But we really didn't get very much closer to God because... Our religions tended to be distorted by our egos and by our selfishness and those kinds of things. So what God intended to happen as a result of cultic ritual, the Old Testament, just served to separate humanity. Taught us some good lessons, but it didn't really do the thing that needed to be done. So the divine visit occurred. It was prophesied in the Old Testament you and I, from a Christian perspective, can read those Old Testament prophecies and, and see what they were talking about. But before Jesus, when they read those Old Testament prophecies, they saw something very different. For them, they saw the military ruler that would come and kill the bad guys. And that's all they could see. So, in our story, when Jesus came, a helpless infant, unassuming, born near the animals... They just couldn't get it. The religious leadership that was looking for Messiah, they really wanted to see Messiah, could not receive him. But the people who didn't know any better, they saw that this child was somebody special. The shepherds, those who were unclean and could not worship with anybody else, they knew he was somebody special. So on screen is an idea of who Jesus was. And again, I'm just referring to John chapter 1 here. This Messiah who came, the divine visit was, of course, Jesus. The living word. In beginning was the word. The word was with God. The word was God. The living word, and this was a concept that the Hebrew people had. It was a philosophical ideology that the word of God was this force. And God used that understanding. Jesus was the force of God personified. He wanted them to understand not just Scripture, more than that, God himself. Creator God, continual references back to creation. My favorite passage in Scripture, by the way, you know that. It's a creation account. It shows us what could have been. It shows us what God intended. 
It shows us why we have the mess that we have. It shows us why when we turn the TV on, we see what we see. And it shows us God's plan. Remember that proto-evangelium, the message of the gospel in the creation story. Creator God, Jesus was there. Fully human, fully man. Something Christians did not understand for a long time. Still fuss about it. Took about 350 years before Christians finally agreed that Jesus was fully God and fully man at the same time. Some scholars still fuss. Some people reject it. But for the most part, Christians agree. We don't know how this happened. We don't understand the character of God. But Jesus was, at the same time, fully human with all of our limitations and fully God. Jesus had the mind of God, the heart of God, the memory of God. And yet, so says Scripture, when Jesus came in the flesh, he gave up the privileges of deity. Paul said he emptied himself, which meant he gave up the privilege of deity. The privileges of deity are all power, all wisdom, all knowing, all everything. Jesus the infant, the one that we read about, he was just like you. Yes, he messed his britches. Yes, he had to learn to eat. He had to learn to talk. He had to learn to read. Had to do everything just like us. God in the flesh. He gave up all the privileges and he started just like us. So when the young boy went to the temple when he was a young kid and he argued with the scholars there and understood scripture, it wasn't because he was somebody special. It was because he was this human totally devoted to God. He totally allowed the Holy Spirit to come and dwell within him and he allowed God to teach him. You see, Jesus showed us what we were supposed to be like. Paul called him the second Adam. The first Adam, you remember, failed. Jesus, the second Adam, he did it right. When you wonder, what could I do if I got my life right? Look at some of the things Jesus did. He could discuss scripture and understand in a way that sometimes scared people, but oftentimes helped them. More often than not, led them to peace. You can do that. That's not just for preachers. It's not just for people with letters after their name and titles and all those kinds of things. God's full intent was that you, follower of Jesus, would allow the Holy Spirit to teach you. That you would ingest scripture and God would give you wisdom. And then in your daily dealings with everybody, they could sense God's presence. That when you speak, people would sense something. That's what God intended. Fully human, fully man. And then the Savior of humanity, this is where Jesus the man stepped up and became obviously Jesus the God. Other men have come and gone and have died. Many died on the cross. That wasn't reserved for Jesus. But Jesus was the one who could say, Today you shall be with me in paradise. No one else had ever thought about that because they know they couldn't do it. 
And at their point of death, they usually weren't concerned about anyone else. But Jesus did it different. He did what God wanted him to do. The scriptures teach us that he was obedient to God unto death. That dying on the cross was exactly what God wanted him to do. Not because God wanted him to die. But because there was a desperate need for justice and the punishment of all sin. And Jesus stepped up and said, I will do that. The Old Testament had this understanding that there was a sacrifice that had to be made. Blood had to be shed before justice could be served. God was just. Jesus was that sacrificial lamb. The sacrificial lamb was what they were used to talking about. They did it in their culture. So Jesus became that sacrificial lamb, the savior of humanity. Nobody else could do that. Jesus was different. He was just like us. But he was absolutely different. We couldn't know that until he came. When we talk about the divine visit, we're talking about God himself. Not just a baby. Yes, a baby. But not just a baby. On screen is a little bit more about this divine visit. It was a time to get to know God. Do you know, you've probably asked this question, if God were here right now, I wonder what he would do. You know, you can read the Gospels and find out. If we're in a group of people and somebody's being really stinky and, and they, just, they just need a good slap, and you know what I'm talking about, how would we treat them? How would God treat them? And you can read Scripture and see how Jesus treated people like that. He would challenge them. He would confront them. He would give them a chance to repent. But always he would challenge him in grace. He would always be strong, confrontational, but in a way that made it clear he cared about people. That's what God would do. That's what God wants you to do. To confront people, but to do it in a way that affirms them and loves them and shows who you are. We can look at Jesus. We can read the Gospels. And we can know who God is like God's not like somebody on TV. He's not like Billy Graham. He's not like anybody else. God is like Jesus. Read the Gospels. That's how Jesus was. The divine visit was a time for man to be comforted and strengthened by God. One of the things that Jesus did, Jesus gave people hope. Now remember, they were living under the crushing burden of the Roman government. As cruel and barbaric as any you can imagine... As much as today, we hear about the horrors of people living under terrorist rule. That's what they did. That was their lives. It had been that way for hundreds of years. And there was literally no hope. They could not break free. And yet Jesus said, follow me and you shall be free indeed. And they believed him. If you follow Jesus, you'll be free. Now, they didn't have any ideas that Jesus was going to overthrow the government. I mean, most people didn't believe that. But for some reason, following Jesus gave them a sense of freedom and hope. Jesus did that. It was a time to be taught and challenged to live differently than before. One of the things that Jesus did was he taught all the time. That's why they called him rabbi. He was a teacher. He wasn't just a guy who was different. He was a teacher. 
Most of the time he was just talking, but he was always teaching. Teaching them how to interpret scripture. Teaching them how to understand the mind of God. Teaching them how to live and to be. He would teach them to forgive those that they hated. Even said, you can't hate those people. You must love them. When they wanted to know how they should be, he said, well, listen. Love God. Love people. Made it very simple. He didn't eliminate all the other things. He just made it simple. You want to be like God wants you to be. Love God. Love people. Which was an earth-shaking thing to that culture because they'd been taught from everybody that knew you got to go to church all the time. you got to give all your money. you got to do blood sacrifices. you got to take care of the rules on the Sabbath and all those things. That's all they'd ever been taught. Jesus just said, love God. Love people. <laughs> Changed everything, by the way. Live differently. Begin a value system that is based on power. And gender and all those things we, that are kind of buzzwords today. The New Testament message is really this bizarre thing that if you follow Jesus, all the things that divide us are irrelevant. Status and finances and education and all those things. There's nothing necessarily wrong with those. But they aren't to divide us. They don't show us who is important or not. Because the worth of a person is determined by who made them. Well, God made them. Who did God make? Well, God made everybody. They understood that. You didn't have a privilege of dividing some people. These are the people of God. These are not. Jesus said, forget that. Everybody in faith can be the people of God. Changed everything. Because the Jewish people were among the worst. You see, they had had this message given to them for centuries. You are God's people. You're supposed to go out and share the message and make everybody God's people. That's what they were taught in the Old Testament. And they totally blew that one. And they were taught in Jesus' day, you are God's people. You're better than everybody else. Hate them. Love your people. Jesus said, no. What you've been taught is wrong. Changed everything. So this visit was really something amazing. It was divine. It was from God. It wasn't just a different idea of God. It was, it was almost as if somebody different was speaking. So distorted was their vision of God. Jesus' visit gave people a chance for new life. Jesus did not promise, follow me and I'm going to give you money. Follow me and I will heal you. Follow me and I will kill your enemies. He didn't say anything like that. Just follow me. Trust me. And I will give you hope. So this is what he did. He gave us a chance to live differently. And this is one something we have to remember when we hear the teachings of our culture particularly the religious teachings, and you hear the people making promises about what will happen if you're a good and godly and all those kinds of things. And so many times they're just wrong. Sometimes, when you follow Jesus and are faithful, he will bless you with something tangible. Oftentimes the blessings of God are nothing that you can touch or see or spend. 
but they're there nonetheless. God can give you hope. Maybe not that you will be healed of your illness, but that there is more to this life than just this life. I've always been amazed. I've had the privilege, I guess, to be with a lot of people at the point of death over the years. People with faith, they have something. They have peace just before they die. Sometimes they say the darndest things too. They smile. Oh, there's something wonderful about those who die with faith. Sometime we will experience that too. There's a reason for hope. On screen are some ideas I'll leave you with. This divine visit, this visit of the Christ child demonstrates the work of God on man's behalf. When you hear people say, or you're thinking, well, what has God done for me? Well, this is it. Besides all the other things. This is it. God has blessed you with Jesus. One of my great-grandparents was a Baptist preacher. Rode around on a horse and did that thing. His kids were Christian. They got married to Christians. And they repeated the cycle. Just like so many of you. You could find Christianity in your family lineage. And here you are. Some people just stumble into faith. Most of us are ushered into faith by family, grandparents, grandmas, and those kinds of things. I grew up hearing about my Pentecostal grandma running up and down the aisle in an old-time revival tent, screaming and shouting and passing out. That's in my heritage. And grandma was a crazy person. She was, she was hilarious. She made the best mashed potatoes. And she followed Jesus. And there was something about that story my other grandma, her husband died with a bunch of kids at home when the kids were young. And she lived a hard scrabble life in an old farm. Raised those kids, drug them to church by force, yes. She was a scrappy little thing. And at age 11, my mama started playing the church piano and did that for the next 65 years of her life. And yes, my mama forced me to go to church when I didn't want to. No, I wasn't an angelic child. I was a typical little boy. There were good TV shows on Sunday night that I wanted to watch. Mom said, too bad, you're going to church. When I got older, she said, too bad, you're going to youth group. And we had words, and my mama always won, by the way. And we all went to church, and we all followed Jesus. I wish I could say that I, I came to faith because I was a smart, spiritually discerning guy. But I have to acknowledge there's a big part of me that is Christian because my mama and my daddy drugged me to church and forced me to listen and get away from the TV and the baseball and the motorcycle and all those things. See, God has a way of working through people to bring others to faith. My mom and dad were doing what Christians are supposed to do, leading their children to faith. That's what we're supposed to be doing. Leading our friends and our children and our grandchildren faith. Not necessarily 
being violent or vicious toward them, but being forceful and letting them understand that this Jesus, he's something. He's changed my life. They need to hear you saying that. They may say, oh, Grandma. But they need to hear it. One of my sisters has grown children. She had two different families. She had a family they grew up. She got divorced and had another family. You know how that goes. And her first family is Christian. Her second family is atheist. And it grieves her every day. She failed and she knows it. For a lot of reasons. Not all her fault, but she was part of the problem. Sometimes parents fail. I understand. I'm not really critical of people whose kids aren't Christian. You, you, you know, it's not our fault necessarily. But God wants us. He calls us to live out our faith. This divine visit was just one way for God to teach us that. The other thing about this divine visit, it gives us reason for hope. Not that everything's going to be fine, but that at death, there is more. Over the years, I preached about 200 funerals, many of them here. You know, the message is the same. In Jesus, there is hope. At the grave sites, it's always the same. I read a passage about the resurrection. Because in that there is hope. And I know it, it's not a contemporary message. But it is a message that we need. Every one of us here will face death. We will lose our loved ones and then eventually we will be that loved one who dies. And the conviction of this visit is that that child who came and lived and died who rose again, will meet us the moment of our deaths and usher us into something that is wonderful and forever. And that's an always relevant message. I remember when I was a kid, I went to a funeral service. I don't remember who it was for. Some kind of family member, I'm sure. And the preacher talked about getting saved. And I thought, well, that's odd to talk about getting saved at this. And, and years later, I began to understand what he was doing. He was trying to show people that death isn't all. There's more. Much more. So this week, you're going to have visits. And some of you will be that visitor. And you're going to eat probably too much, I hope. And you're going to share gifts and all those kinds of things. And you're going to hug and kiss and cry. Enjoy that. God created us to enjoy these visits. And then think of that one visit that has changed you forever. And share that visit with others. Make sure that somewhere in this Christmas mess, what we do, that someone hears about Jesus. There's a way to do it. You don't have to be heavy-handed or hit anybody with a family Bible. You may want to, but you don't have to do that. But be gracious about it. And let them know. I have, there'll be 19 in my house. And it's always so loud. And believe me, they do not want the preacher to start in. So somehow, before the meal, 
in that moment of silence before one of the little kids prays, because that's a thing in our house, I'm going to do something about Jesus. Talk about the divine visit. I hope you will too. Nate's going to come and lead us in a hymn of invitation and commitment. It's a time for you to make decisions about life, about whether or not you'll follow this Jesus, the one who visited us, and how you'll work that out. If you've got a decision to make, make that yes to follow Jesus. And if you want to make that public, you can if you'd come forward. Why don't you stand with me as Nate leads us. you love being up here in front of everybody. <laughs> she has fought this for a long time. You know, Bobby and Pam come to join our fellowship from East Side, right? Yeah. Followed Jesus for a long time, and he's brought him here. If you would like to accept him into the fellowship, would you raise your right hand, please, and say amen. 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 Hallelujah. <laughs> okay. Come down when the service is over and let him know you're glad to see him here, and you can go stand over there. You don't have to look at everybody, okay? <laughs> People hate this part of it, I know. Yeah. Come and pray. Before I pray, uh, don't you have a birthday this week? I do. Wednesday? Yes. All right. Can we sing happy birthday? please. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask you, be with those this week that are having a hard time. Be with those this week that are lonely. And Father, help us this week to just do a good deed for someone or say a prayer for them. And help us to do it in Jesus' name. Amen.